following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Guys, there is one number one reason. There's a number of reasons, but there's only one number one reason why I like football. Okay? Um, and, and that has nothing to do with being a Jayhawk fan. They won again. I know that's so strange. I've been wanting them to win for four years now, and they will not win. And the minute I want them to stop winning, they start winning. Uh, and, and, and they won again. But that has nothing to do with K. You don't even have anything to do with the Chiefs. Um, it has to do with the time of year. It does. It's fall. Okay, it doesn't feel like fall the past couple of days but fall is definitely on its way, and that's why I think I like football so much. Um, I do enjoy the game, though. I really, really do, and I, I played one year of football, seventh grade. Yes, I did, and I was so good, they said, you got to stop playing because it's a disadvantage to all the other teams. Okay. Now, they never told me that, and when I stopped playing, they never asked me back, okay? Um, but I learned enough about it, football to know this. I would much rather play offense than defense. Um, I played tight end at seventh grade, and I also played defensive back, all right? Uh, it wasn't just because I wasn't that much into hitting people or getting hit. The main reason I'd rather play on the offensive side of the ball, remember, I played defensive back, and it was the assignments, It's like, this is football. You're not supposed to have to think out here. You're not supposed to remember if you're covering right here for a sweep to the outside or you're taking your receiver down the field. You're not supposed to have to remember all that. You're just supposed supposed to go out there and hit somebody. That's just it, all right? But I found out very quickly, if you forget your defensive assignment, things don't go well. You get destroyed, and then you get You get destroyed by your teammates after you get destroyed by the other team because of assignments. Last week, we talked about fallout that can come from change in life, how we can never change, specifically change something in our lives from the the negative to the positive and not expect a fallout of some kind. There will be consequences even to positive change. That change that happens in our life comes from our new identity in Christ and growing into that new identity. Understand that very much. We talked about this very specifically last week. When we become a Christian, God sees us as his children. We are to grow and look more like Christ all the time. But our new identity isn't just Christ. It's like Sean just said, it's Christian. Christian is not just a title. It's Christ. It's Christ follower. Now, we're going to look into 1 Peter for a little bit today. And there's something I need to tell you about the audience that he is writing to. And I apologize right now if I ever say Paul. It is so difficult when I'm talking about Peter to not say Paul, all right? And Mary. No, just kidding. Okay. All right. Peter's audience was facing very real persecution. I'm I'm talking about persecution to this enduring physical suffering and punishment because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this group of people needed encouragement. Okay, these are some words 
that Peter gives them. We're going to turn, first of all, to 1 Peter chapter 2. You'll find 1 and 2 Peter. We're just going to look at 1 Peter today. Look, I mean, it's the very end of your New Testament, very end of your Bible. Um, if you're not sure what that's at, look at the table of contents. It will tell you. All right? We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Listen closely. This is all about identity. It says... But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now there's some things that we are entitled there by the Apostle Peter. We are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood priesthood. Guys, that might sound a little different to to us today because we did not, Peter's writing to Jewish Christians here, okay, and they grew up their whole life going to the synagogue, going to the temple, and it was the priesthood who did the work for the Lord in the temple, and you went to the priesthood, like the priest was your intermediary between you and God. They're the ones who did the work. You just kind of came and did your sacrifices, okay? He's saying, you are now the royal priesthood. I mean, you've probably heard it said before, you've been around church very long, priesthood of all believers. In other words, there's no separation. The job of the priesthood is our job. Okay? Also tells us there, Peter says, we are, you are, God's very own possession. You talk about identity. Be the possession of God. That's identity. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. With identity, a new identity, that's not the end. It's just the beginning. And with new identity comes a new assignment. Got a question for you. Would you take a completely unknown job without being given a job description. Would you do that? And I'm sure you're thinking, well, how desperate am I for work? Okay, there are times I might do that, but if I'm not desperate for work, I want to know what I'm going to be doing. So, so, so I mean, they're like throwing these great benefits at you, this great salary package, and then at some point, you're like, okay, you, you, you haven't said anything about what, I, what I'm what I'm going to be doing. Oh, you'll find that out once you get started. You signing up? Some of you might be, hey, I, I'm one of those fly by the sea of my pants people. Absolutely, sign me up. That's, that's some good money and benefits right there. But if you're anything like me, you're like, eh, what am I going to be doing? The Apostle Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us exactly what is expected of us as follower followers of Jesus. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is where we're going to spend just a little bit of time. 
First Peter chapter 3, one page over, probably for you, beginning with verse 14. Okay. Anybody ever heard of AAA before? If, if you have a hard time remembering stuff today, it will be easy. Just all you got to remember today is AAA. All right, you got that? Okay, here we go. And you'll see what I'm talking about in just a second. Peter writing. Remember, he's writing to a persecuted people. He says, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which, in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. He says, even in the midst of suffering, sanctify Jesus in your heart. So what is that getting at? You're talking about people who are already Christians. So this sanctify, that's a fancy way of just saying you're set apart. By becoming a follower of Jesus, you, by the blood of Jesus, have been set apart. And he says, when you experience suffering, remember that. Jesus suffered. Just because you suffer doesn't mean anything negative. Spiritually taking place. Matter of fact, it could be very much a positive thing. But that's not our subject today. Our subject is this. Okay, in the midst of this life that we live, following Jesus, what is expected of us? Triple A, here you go. Very first one. We are expected to answer. Look at the middle part of verse 15. Okay, it says this. Always be ready, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Luke chapter 12 and John chapter 15 and chapter 16, Jesus tells his followers and us specifically in those passages that we They will be given, we're on the past tense, so we have been given, a helper to give us assistance. When somebody puts us on the spot for our faith, or when somebody maybe even be persecuting us for our faith, and we are asked to defend our faith, why do I believe what I believe? We are told the Holy Spirit will help us to make that defense. Here's the question. How much are we helping the Holy Spirit help us? Does that make any sense? I've heard, I've heard Dave say many, many times in Sunday school class that, that, you know, he's talking to somebody about Jesus and a verse just pops into his head and you're like, I don't have a clue where that came from. But it's there. But guess what, Dave? You put it there at some point in time. What are we doing to help the Holy Spirit help us make a defense for the God we believe in? I have a number of books in my office. Some of you, I've given you copies before of this. You can find one yourself. You can find it on Amazon, all right? But I've got, I think, a dozen copies in there. 
If somebody wants one, I'd be glad to give one to you. It's called More Than a Carpenter, and it's written by Josh McDowell. And this particular version of it, the most updated one, his son, Sean McDowell, jumps in with him to help out. And this little book will give you, and it's, it's not a tough read, it will give you the firepower you need when somebody starts attacking your Savior and attacking your faith in Him. You always, if somebody's attacking your faith or going after your faith or even just innocently asking about your faith, you always start with Jesus. I'll tell you what, I've got some, I'd be more than happy to give you a copy of that if you've got any questions. I've given some just this past year to some people, all right? Folks, we are followers of Jesus. We have been given the responsibility to answer the most important questions in life, okay? And, and if that intimidates you a little bit, intimidates me, it probably should because these are big questions. Some of these questions... Eternity depends upon some of the answers. We get questioned about a lot of things in life, but every question pales in comparison with questions about Jesus. And we need to do our best to know what to say and how to answer. The Holy Spirit will help. Let's give the Holy Spirit some firepower, okay? But it's more about, it's more than just knowing what to say, okay? You got the answers, number one. That's first A. Second one, attitude. <laughs> Look at the end of verse 15. I know there's some of you in here who you know the answer's inside and out, and you wish that the rest of that verse had been left off. It says this. Do this with gentleness and reverence. Okay, so when you are questioned about your faith... You are to give a response, whether you're questioned and you're defending yourself or you're just defending Jesus, okay? It says, do so with gentleness and respect. Married couples, I'm going to ask the wives because husbands never do this. Wives, have you ever said the right thing the wrong way? Husbands, you ever done that? Never. Because we never say the right thing, right? (laughs) Everybody has been in that place before where you knew what was right. You absolutely knew what was right. But you didn't communicate it in the right way. And therefore, it was not heard. Peter says, when you give this defense, do it with gentleness. Even when our questioner is not so gentle. With respect. Give your answer with respect. The Apostle Paul, and I mean Paul, okay, sorry, I told you I would say Peter and Paul. Okay, this one actually is Paul. And when he was on trial before the high priest, and the high priest was an an idiot. And he ordered that because of something Paul said for him to be slapped. Paul's response was, God's going to slap you, you whitewashed tomb. 
Don't you just love that? It's like, yeah, get him, all right? And then it was told Paul that was the high priest. And Paul said, I apologize. I didn't know who you were. Even in the situation where Paul was on trial for doing completely what was right, and the people accusing him were 150% in the wrong, and he was just slapped for saying the truth, he apologized for his response. Because he knew it wasn't actful. Knowing what to say, but not only knowing what to say is important, choosing to say it with gentleness, with care, and with tact. I'll tell you what, I have read some debates on social media that people are spouting the right answers, but they are not doing it with gentleness and tact. And for one thing, I hate those conversations taking place on social media, but occasionally... Those conversations do their work, but only by the people who use a measure of gentleness in their responses. So we have answers to be given. We have answers to be given with the proper attitude, and then we have action. Look at verse 16. Keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Let's ask ourselves this question. I'm going to put it in first person, okay? Because I'm asking, I'm telling you to ask yourself this question. I'm going to ask myself this question. Am I a defendable person? Now, I'm not talking about a defensive person, no. There's a difference here. Am I a defendable person? In other words, am I the type of person that someone is saying something about me to someone else that is negative? That the person who's being told this about me says, "Ah, I I, I know, I know, Jamie, and I, I don't, I don't believe that. Are you a defendable person? Does somebody say, nah, not buying it. Not buying it. Why don't you just stop talking about it because I'm not buying it. Folks, if we live for Jesus each and every day as we are called to, we will make people uncomfortable. We will. The light makes people uncomfortable, and Jesus is the light. Especially if those people are living in darkness. It will make people uncomfortable. We might even make some enemies. I've been asked by a number of you from the congregation asking for some of this firepower we've been talking about, saying, my faith gets attacked at work quite often, and I just, I just need, I need a little more help in, in, in coming with some, with some answers and some responses. Like I said, I've given out that more than Carpenter book. I don't know how many copies of that thing I've given out. Say, so read this. This will help you. It really will. But pray about it, too, because God will help you as well. Because here's the thing, you live for Jesus each day, and it's going to make people uncomfortable. It's going to make some enemies. 
And it's your opportunity and privilege to put those enemies to shame. Not with superior arguments, not with high and mighty attitude, but put them to shame by living right. When no one believes what they're saying about you, because what they're saying doesn't match up with the evidence. You know what Paul called it? Not Peter, but Paul. He called it living above reproach. Living in such a way that nobody will believe the slander. So what do we have here? With our identity comes assignment. Understand that. And if we're to journey through this life, I don't know about AAA. I've never had AAA. I've got good Sam's insurance, okay? I don't have AAA automotive stuff. I just don't, all right? But in this journey of life, this AAA will help you out. If you understand that you and I have been given the responsibility to provide answers for what we believe. And not only have we been given that responsibility because there's people out there depending upon it, we've been given the challenge to do it with the right attitude. And on top of all of it, we've been given the command to make sure our lives match up with our mouths. Wow, that's quite a responsibility. Well, that's not all of it. There's one thing to remember. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan, many of you know this, of, of the, the author and the preacher, Larry Osborne. I have been ever since I saw him speak a couple, few years, three years ago now at a conference. And, uh, man, his, his teaching is practical and it's, it's biblical. Um, I just appreciate him. He has, <laughs> he has a a phrase that he likes to use, and he uses it in a very negative way. He says, us Christians sometimes find ourselves, and it works good for football season, congregating. And what he calls it is the holy huddle. All right? It's when, it's when we surround ourselves by people just like us. And by people just like us, I'm not talking about habits behaviors, personalities, race, any of that. I'm talking about fellow followers of Jesus Christ. And you're like, what's wrong with that? Well, there's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's part of what Sunday morning is about, to gather together to be encouraged by one another. But the, the holy huddle is meant to be kind of a, it's not an everyday thing. Sunday morning, maybe for you, it's the life group, maybe it's, Maybe a few people at work who are your fellow followers of Jesus. And, and it's good to, to know that and to encourage one another. But guys, I think KU football has spent four years in the huddle. Okay? And if you spend all your time in the huddle, you don't get across the goal line very much. Okay? You're supposed to break that huddle and play ball. And how many times do we live in this holy huddle? And we surround ourselves only by fellow believers. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about... Good grief, guys. If you 
If you are a recovering alcoholic of about three years now, going and doing bar room ministry might not be the place for you quite yet, okay? Now, give it a few more years. Maybe it is. But as we grow in Christ, our growth will stop if we spend 99.9% of our time in the holy huddle. When are we going to impact anybody? JB preached a sermon three weeks ago, rescued to be, res- to be a rescuer. People don't get rescued in the training Coast Guard class all the time. They got to get out there and be the Coast Guard. Sometimes we fall into this trap of, of, of seeing and thinking. I, I love what Larry Osborne has to say about this. He says, we get into our brains that obedience to Christ is isolation. And it's not. Obedience to Christ is infiltration. It's taking Jesus into places that don't like Jesus to be there. Providing answers with the right attitude, with the right life to back it up. You put that together, folks, and you talk about an incredibly powerful combination. Guys, this is important. We've been given a new identity. But guys, we've been given a new assignment too. We are a part of this. You are a part of this. Do not fall into the apathetic trap of saying somebody else will take care of it. It's God's plan, so somebody else will take care of it. You and I are a part of that plan. And we need to speak up for Jesus in our worlds.